Right, good morning, church. And um, it really is a pleasure for me to stand up here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen. And my heart is so full right now because I'm sitting here and I'm just saying, this is church. And by that, I don't just mean the awesome experience that we have between 9.30 and 11 a.m. or if you come to RPM, what I mean is just what God is doing in us and what God has been doing in us and and what He's doing through us. And that there are people's lives, uh, both in this nation and we trust the Lord in nations around the world who will be eternally different because of what God is doing through you guys and how you are participating with the mission of God. And by gathering and being exposed to this and in many ways being fueled up for all that God is doing, man, my heart is so full. Uh, My heart is also full because we have just concluded probably our longest preaching series ever. It ended up being about 23, 24 weeks on the book of Colossians. And if you started out going, ah, a few chapters will be done in a few weeks, you were wrong, right? But God has done so much in us. And I know in our life group and some of the feedback of some of your life groups and just as you come and share with us what God is doing, man, my heart is so full. But Craig and I were just chatting this morning about how excited we are about the coming series. So we're starting a new series today called Restoring Faith. And really we wanna get to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Now that phrase, Christian, all right, it is used often by so many people so lightly for, you know, I live in Bracket Downs, my name is Stephen, I've got this many kids and I'm sort of a Christian, right? In fact, 80% statistically of our nation would call themselves Christian when it comes to signing a form somewhere. For many people, just being a Christian is somehow something to do with the fact that, yo, no, no, my granny used to read me those stories and I used to go to church. My parents used to take me to Sunday school and yeah, I'm a good person. I try to go to church Christmas and Easter and I try to do the right thing. Maybe every now and again, I'll even give towards the ministry. And that kind of sort of makes me a, a Christian, right? So for, for many people, this idea of being a Christian is just a little label we, we put on ourselves as far as all the other labels of life go. And it's not really treated with a lot of weight. But for some of you this morning, this idea of what does it mean to be a Christian is extremely weighty and extremely important to you. And for that reason, sometimes it can even be a little bit of a struggle. Uh, I I know sometimes this idea of being a Christian uh, is uh, made more confusing by people like me. And by that, I mean preachers and pastors and other Christians where we use phrases a lot to the point where they get kind of fall into cliche. No one really knows what we talk about, but we say things like, you know, are you saved? And and are you born again? And these are actually rich terms, but no one really knows what we're talking about. Are you covered by the blood of the Lamb? You know, I often wonder, you go to a Pacific Islander and ask them, are you covered by the blood of the Lamb? You say, yeah, last night, in fact, you know. Uh, It's just he means something very different by what you mean by that. Right? And for some of us, this idea of being a Christian, again, it's, it's a weighty thing. It's an important thing. For some of you, you're sitting here and maybe you've been through life and it's been a bit of a struggle for you and you're starting to ask some very important questions. What does it mean? I thought this was going to work out differently if I'm a Christian. I thought it was going to be a whole lot easier. I thought we were just going to walk on rainbows and flowers all day long, right? But here you are 10, 20, 30 years later and your expectations in many ways have not been met. And now you started to ask, well, what does it mean And for you to wrestle? Maybe you've experienced incredible hardship. And for that reason, you've started to even wonder, is this, is this all worth it? Is there more to it than this? 
You know, is this all there is? For some of us, you're actually wrestling with questions. And I know for some of you, I've spoken to some of you, you wrestle with questions like, am I really saved? And you maybe go back to the time where you came to know the Lord and you like, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to feel bad about my sin when I come to the Lord. Did I feel bad enough? Or may I, I had to pray a prayer. Did I pray the right prayer? Did I pray it enough times? Did I include the right words? All right, or maybe no, I need to be you know, confident and committed to Jesus. Well, have I been committed enough? Does that mean I am or I am not a Christian? How, how, how many times do I have to stick my hand up in church to be a Christian? And, and for, you, for some of you, it's a, a real wrestle. So we've got all of those who maybe treat being a Christian as a very light thing. Some of you are maybe in a phase of wondering, what is this actually all about? Is it all worth it? And some of you are really struggling with, am I even a Christian? And these feelings of faith and this confidence. And, and regardless of where you are at, that's what this series called Restoring Faith is all about. There are a lot of words that we use regularly here at Riverside to describe who God is and what God has done. And not knowing what we're speaking about today, every single one of the songs we sang this morning, we're pointing towards who God is and what God has done. And so one of the words you'll hear all the time here at Riverside is the gospel. Is the gospel, and we try and define it as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus means. So that is something about what God has done. Another word that really encapsulates what God has done is the word grace. So C.S. Lewis, when he was asked by atheistic uh, professor friends, you know, what makes Christianity unique? He says, oh, it's easy, it's grace. And so we wanna talk about grace a lot here at Riverside and we're gonna speak about that this morning. But that refers to who God is, what God has done. But what is a core central word that gets to the heart of our response to the gospel, our response to grace, and it is the word faith. And so this is not just another Christian word we throw in with all the other Christian words. This is one of the Christian words. This is where we get to recognise what is it that I need to be doing to respond to the gospel, to respond to grace, and how can that transform my journey of faith? Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, Richard van Lisso preached our closing sermon on the book of Colossians. And if you weren't here, you have to go down, load it and listen to it. But one of the things that amazed uh, Craig and I as we were listening to Richard preach, he had no idea where we were going in terms of our next preaching series, but it is as if he got the, the, the brief. It is as if he kind of knew, listen, we wanna wrap up Colossians. We're going into a series on faith. So why don't you do your best just to tee us up for that? And without knowing that, he did exactly that. He really teed us up and prepared us for a church to speak about faith. Remember, he spoke about some of the people who started well, but didn't end well. Then he spoke about those who maybe didn't start too well, but ended well. And then the challenge was that most of us are somewhere in the very tricky middle. And the challenge is how faithful are we being in the middle? And how can we maybe ensure that we end well? And so as we talk about restoring faith, I've got great faith that God can meet every single one of you. For some of you, you're at the beginning, all right? And God is going to put you on the path of faith and put you on the journey of faith. Some of you, most of you, you're somewhere in the middle and we are trusting God to restore great confidence in who He is and what He has done in this world and our response to that, how we live in that reality. 
And some of you, if I'm honest, are, are looking to end well and we're hoping that this series helps you do exactly that. And we're even praying that there are people who are gonna be coming through us over the course of the next few weeks for whom it's not gonna be restored faith, but new faith, brand new faith as we hear how we can respond well to God. So uh, our passage for this morning, we're gonna be looking at the book of Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. If you're kind of paging through the New Testament, you're gonna get all the name books, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts, Romans, uh, some big books, one and two Corinthians. And soon after that, you're gonna see Galatians, Ephesians right there, about midway. In fact, if you've been with us through the book of Colossians, just page back a few pages and you'll find the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two. Verses four to nine, Ephesians chapter two, verses four to nine. I really encourage you, we are gonna have the words on the screen behind me, but keep your Bible open, whether it's on an app or a tablet or a paper Bible like this one. Uh, I really want you to start seeing what we're talking about in the pages that you have in front of you uh, so that you can go home and meditate on it and pray about it and God can continue speaking to you. But let's read together. From verse four, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I just wanna stop there. I just wanna stop there. We're talking about what is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And there's something quite important that comes out of these verses here where it says we have been made alive with Christ. So for many people in our culture, in fact, statistically 80% of our culture would say they're Christians. It's just another label that they add to, you know, just because my granny used to read Bible stories to me. But this verse is saying what it actually means. One of the ways that God sees Christians is that they are made alive, not just by Christ. Christ doesn't just pop down life from heaven into our lives. We are made alive with Christ. A Christian is someone who, if we could somehow see the metaphysical reality, a Christian is someone whose life has permanently been fused with the life of Christ. And somehow we experience all the benefits of my life being permanently caught up in the life of Jesus. So as we read the next few verses, I want you to notice how many times the word with and in come up to describe the reality of what is a Christian. From verse five, we've been made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and, with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus because our lives are permanently fused with His in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace experienced in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now the next verse, verse eight, is gonna be the focus of our time this morning. For it is by grace you have been saved. I just, I just wanna pause there. Just before we continue this verse, this is the second time these words come up. It is by grace you have been saved. Now grace simply means what God gives, all that God gives. All right, the word grace in Greek, which is when the language of the New Testament was written in, is the word chari, which literally means gifts. All right, so for example, when you say grace, what are you acknowledging? You're simply acknowledging the food we're about to eat is a gift. It is given from God. 
And so we recognize He gave us this food. He gave us the ability to work. He gave us the ability to earn. He gave us our, our home and all our comfort. And therefore we acknowledge Him and thank Him by saying grace. Acknowledging what God gives. And when we talk about it, it is by grace you have been saved. It is saying so much. But at the center of it, it is saying that salvation is something God gives. Salvation points towards a God who saves us by giving. All right, that is what He does. So how do we respond to this? Well, let's carry on reading. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Again, this whole initiative of salvation is the gift of God. Now, let's just pause before we read the final verse. That sounds like great news, right? I mean, God is wanting to pour grace into our lives. He's wanting to give us the gift of salvation, which by definition means it is free. And we kind of, you know, that sounds like great news, right? I just, I just get to receive this thing called salvation and, and all the goodness and all the attributes of a good giving God. And here's what makes that transaction so difficult. For some reason, your heart and my heart is hardwired to earn something, to feel proud of the fact that I deserve what I get. Think about most of us sitting here this morning are in some sort of transaction with a boss or a company, right? Here is what I will do. And at the end of the month, you will pay me for the work that I've done. I know it's kind of payday at the moment. So tomorrow, most of you are gonna open up your banking accounts and you're gonna see some money that has come into your accounts. Now, here's what I don't think anyone here is gonna do. Phone your boss up. Oh, wow, thank you so much. Man, you really didn't have to. Man, like, what, what, what can I do? I, I don't have words. No, in fact, the only reason you're gonna phone up your boss is if that money's not there. Because I fulfilled my part of the obligation of the agreement. Now you must fulfill your part, and that is to pay me. And somehow that plays itself out in relationships. I did this for you. Now you must do this for me. And as much as we preach on the nature of marriage as a covenant, there's something in us that if I do this, I deserve that. And so when it comes to salvation, there's something in us that as much as it sounds so amazing, the free gift of grace, something in us goes, that can't be true. I have to work. I have to say to God, look what I've done for you. Look at what a good person I am. Look at how much I give. Look at how regularly I go to church. Look at what I've sacrificed for you. Now you can respond by giving me what I deserve and that is salvation. And this phrase, saved by grace, upends that on its head by saying, there is nothing you can do. It is a gift to be received. So how do we receive this? It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. Through faith. And here we start seeing what saving faith is. This morning we are talking about saving faith as we consider the whole journey of faith and the scriptures use a language like it has always been faith from first to last, meaning it starts with faith, it ends with faith and it is faith in the middle. Today we are talking about the beginning of the journey of faith, saving faith, accessing the grace of salvation that God gives and it is through faith. 
Now, as we try and understand, what, what does it mean through faith? If, if you're wired like me, I'm like, I wanna know what that means. I wanna understand. I wanna know when I go home, what do I do with that? How do I think? Do I go home and try and conjure up feelings of faith? Do I have to kind of sit in a trance until I feel somehow like there's more faith in me? What does it mean to access the gifts of salvation through faith? And here's where I think on average, both Christians and non-Christians have muddied the water. All right, if you wanna see bad theology of faith, go onto Facebook. All right, and people have these beautiful memes with sunsets and mighty warriors talking about faith. And unless it's quoting a verse of scripture, usually it is so bad. All right, I was just like facepalm, facepalm. No, no, no. Because at the end of these memes and our sort of Twitter length theology, we get to this conclusion that faith is somehow synonymous with wishful thinking. And I think Christians have led us to this point, and I think non Christians have led us to this point where they accuse us of wishful thinking. So something like this, you know, I, I, I'm, really, I, I'm, look, I'm really looking for a job. Oh, just have faith, brother. Oh, what does that mean? All right, no, no, in other words, we, what we communicate by that is just be hopeful. All right, somehow your faith is gonna help you get a job. And so um, wishful thinking becomes synonymous with faith. We use phrases like blind faith or even a leap of faith, somehow implying that it's this leap into the unknown, and what we're gonna see is biblical faith, whether it's saving faith at the beginning of, of our journey or sustaining faith during the course of our journey, it is anything but a leap of faith. It is anything but blind faith. It is anything but wishful thinking. In fact, we're gonna see how um, when we place our faith in the object of our faith, it is with a firm understanding of what and who we are placing our faith in. So in summary, what are we seeing through these verses? We are saved by faith. Salvation is something God does and something God gives. Faith is how we receive that gift. Verse nine reinforces this, not by our works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is not like a participation trophy. It's not like, well done, you've endured, now you get to be saved. No, it's something God gives it's something God does, and we access it through faith. Now, I mentioned earlier, as far as how I'm wired, maybe that's enough for you. And you can go home, praise the Lord, amen. I need to know more. What does it mean? How does it change my life? And I wanna show you this morning that the way these scriptures and, and, and others like it speak about saving faith. We are gonna talk about believing that and believing in. Believing that and believing in. Just before we continue, final Greek lesson of the day, um, I'm gonna kind of start using the word faith and believing synonymously. And the reason is in the Greek language, and I, I know we hate doing this and most of your eyes gloss over, but it's worth thinking about. In English, we kind of lose the connection between faith and belief. Sounds like two different words. In Greek, it's pretty much the same word. Faith is pistis. Belief is pastuo. It's basically the same cognate, the same understanding, but in English, we don't see that connection. And so if we talk about the noun or we talk about the verb, it's the same thing. So saving faith is, and this is what I wanna try and show you this morning, it's believing that, which we will explain, and believing in. All right, believing that and believing in. 
So I want to go to another verse of Scripture that starts to make this a little bit more clear. Romans 10, verses 8 to 9. Romans 10, and the words will be on the screen behind me. Maybe write it down so that you can go home and read it. But Paul says this, and he's arguing to help us understand what faith is and, and how we get faith. And he says this, The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith we are proclaiming. So what word is near me? The word of faith. He is about to describe what faith is, specifically what saving faith is. And then he says this, Romans 10 verse nine, that if you confess, this is the word of faith, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, What are we seeing here? We are saying that saving faith is, I get to the point when I know something is true. I know it's true enough to the point where I get to speak it out. It's not somehow the act of mouthing words that saves me. It's not somehow my words create my own reality. It's recognising an objective truth. There is a reality whereby the ultimate reality is Jesus is Lord. And as I see that and as I know that, I get to confess that Jesus is Lord. All right, and there's a second part here, which is very similar. I get to believe in my heart, meaning the deepest core of who I am has great confidence in the truth that Jesus or God raised Jesus from the dead. So a large part of our faith is believing that Certain things are true. It's not just your truth. They are actually true. Now, these are not just a bunch of random facts where God is up in heaven. He's going, oh, okay. You know what? I'm going to come up with three or four facts. And if people believe in these three or four things, they'll get saved and everybody else won't. Ha, 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 ha. These things, Jesus is Lord. And that God raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, are at the core of who God is and are at the core of what He has done. These are not just random facts that somehow include or exclude people for heaven and hell. All right? So for example, and I'm gonna continue with this metaphor a number of times this morning. Let's say you say, hey, Steve, I want to take you to go and jump out of a plane. All right? And we are gonna do skydiving. Now, I've never done that before, so my first jump will have to be a tandem jump. So let's say I'm a little bit nervous about that. So, hey, just, just talk to me about that. Just, just help me be confident in this reality. Oh, no, no. And this, what are you gonna do? You're gonna give me facts. You know, here's the breaking strain of the rope. Here's how many times it's been used. Here's what's gonna happen. You pull this and this happens. And statistically, you know, there's only one in a million chance that that may not open. And then there's another chute that opens in case that one doesn't open. And, and here's the plane. And this is the stats about the plane. And uh, um, this is how many successful jumps we've had. And all this kind of, you're gonna be giving me facts. Now imagine I responded by saying, I don't want those facts. I want other facts. He's go, you're gonna respond by saying, but, but Stephen, these are the facts that matter. These are the facts that are gonna help you decide whether or not you get on board of the plane, right? And in the same way, when we talk about Jesus being Lord, being the sovereign King of all things, and that I actually believe the truth that God raised His Son from the dead on my behalf, and I can participate in His life, those are the facts that matter. They're not just random facts. And so part of our saving faith is Believing and confessing in the core of who I am, believing that 
Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning or maybe you're thinking about people around us or even that 80% of our country kind of saying, oh, well, you know, I think that's kind of true. I grew up in a country where when we talk about God, for the most part, we've been told God and Jesus, they've got something to do with one another. No, Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and all those things. I kind of think he got raised from the dead. Does that make me a Christian? And the answer is tricky. The answer is yes and no. What, now what these verses in Ephesians and Romans imply, uh, some other verses make explicit. Because it's not enough just to believe that. We have to believe in. What does that mean? So Jesus' brother, James, at first he did not believe that his brother was the son of God. He did not believe in his brother until Jesus was raised from the dead. And then James actually went on to have the biggest church in Jerusalem and he was actually killed for his faith, showing the level of confidence that he had in the truth of who his brother was and the confidence that he could place in his brother that because he rose from the dead, you can take my body out because I know I'll be raised too. All right, so James wrote a book in the New Testament known as the book of James. And he says, okay, fine. So you believe certain things about God. That's great. Even demons believe those things. I mean, if I could sit on a stage and interview some demons, it would freak you out. But if I could, right? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, of course He is. They know that is true about Him. And then do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? No, we were there. All right, we know that He was raised from the dead. But does that mean if somehow a piano had to fall through this roof and take you out that tonight you're gonna go to heaven and your next door neighbor is gonna be a demon? No, it does not. Because demons believe that, but they don't believe in. You see, believing that is trusting truth. Believing in is trusting a person. And somehow we need to transition from knowing certain things that are true and giving some mild mental assent to these truths and actually trust a person. Let's go back to uh, skydiving, all right? So let's say I, I get up in the plane and I'm convinced, okay, I've looked at the facts and I feel pretty confident to get up in the plane. Let's, but let's say I was actually a bit nervous. At some point, the guy's gonna have laid out all the facts to me, but at some point he's gonna take me by the shoulders, look me in the eyes and say, Trust me, trust me, I've done this thousands of times. I have taken people like you and have landed them safely on the ground, right? Now, maybe that gets me to the point where I get on the plane. Let me get you 13,000 feet, strap me up, open the door, look outside, and suddenly I'm imagining what a Stephen egg looks like on the ground below me, right? And, and maybe I'm kind of like on the verge. I don't know if I can do this. Again, at that point, I mean, you know how when you're feeling emotional, the facts don't matter. At that point, what comes into question is, do I trust this person? Especially in the heat of the moment. At that point, I move from believing that to believing in. What counts most at that point is also not how much faith I've got, right? So, so some of you are like, high five, let's rock and roll and you're out the plane. Some of you are like, well, no, I don't know if I could do this. But you get to the point where you trust that and you trust in and you jump out the plane. Now, does it matter how much faith is the difference between person A and person B? No, what matters most is who you have put your faith in. 
So whether you are feeling extremely confident or nervously enough, confident enough to jump out the plane, what matters most is the reliability and the experience of the instructor, the one whom you're putting your faith in. What matters most when it comes to our Christian faith is not just faith. Certain church traditions even talk about putting faith in faith and I don't even know what that means. The Christian gospel is calling us to put our faith in the person of God. Now, just to kind of help us again understand the difference between the kind of faith I have internally and the object in which I'm putting my faith, just imagine some of you go home and you realize you're out of milk and bread. So you go to your black Labrador, in my case, and you say, listen, here's a shopping list. Here's a hundred rand. Won't you come back and bring the change? <laughs> now, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. Man, you can fast and you can pray and you can name it and you can claim it and you can worship God all day long. The truth of the fact is your Labrador ain't coming back with change and bread and milk, right? Maybe you've got a friend who says, listen, I'm out of a car and uh, would you mind if I used your car? And he said, here we go, here's the keys. Now at, at that point, right, doesn't matter how much faith you've got. Now what matters most is, is my friend the kind of friend who forgets things and bumps into things and is always coming back with cars that are dinged? Or someone who is trustworthy and reliable. Again, you can pray and name it and claim it, but what matters most is the person you are putting your faith in. And here's where things start to change. If I have great confidence in someone who is reliable and trustworthy, that makes sense. So the more I know the person that I'm putting my faith in, the more I can have confidence that they will do what they have said that they will do. So when Jesus says in John 11 verses 25, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, have faith that here are some facts about me. I am, I can lay my life down and I can take it up. Jesus, I don't know if I can trust you. Okay, let me show you. Oh, wow, He died. We saw Him die. He was in a tomb for three days and he came out as a resurrected one. Oh, wow. There's evidence of the reliability of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And then he says this. So I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Can you see the connection there? We believe that he is. And because we've got great confidence that He is, these things, I can now put my confidence in Him. Now again, maybe that's enough for you. Praise the Lord, amen. The way I'm wired, I still need to know more. So what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? You know, I can see my basset hound on my Labrador. I can see my friend. I can see the car coming back. But this whole Christianity thing, I don't know if I can see these things. So how do I put my faith in Jesus? How do I move from believing that to believing in? So one last story. To, uh, it really helped me the first time I heard the story. Pray that it helps you. Around the time of Jesus, remember uh, Israel was under Roman rule and there was a Jewish leader in the, in the Roman army called Josephus. He was also a historian. In fact, you can go buy his book. You can read it on Kindle. You can read it today. Right, and he was a general in the Roman side, even though he was ethnically Jewish. 
And at some point, a bunch of Jewish rebels had planned to kill him. So he walks up to them on a horse and he says, listen, repent and believe in me. Now, if you've been in the church for longer than five seconds, you've heard those words before. Here's what Josephus didn't mean by those words. He wasn't starting a new religion. He wasn't claiming to be God. He wasn't saying, feel bad about your sins, kind of acknowledge that I am more powerful and carry on with your life. What is he saying by saying these words? Repent and believe in me. This is what he was saying. He was saying, guys, reality check. If you continue on this path against me, you will be crushed. So give up your agenda, give up this path you're on and join my agenda. Recognize that life is with me and death is apart from me. Now in Mark 1 verses 15, Jesus comes and he says exactly these words. He comes and he talks about the gospel and he says the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So let's take the story of Josephus and try and understand what Jesus meant by that. Did Jesus mean feel a little bit bad about your sins and pray a little prayer and now high five, you've got to get out of jail free card and we'll see you in heaven. Carry on with life as normal. You've done the absolute minimum requirements to be a Christian. No, no, at some point we are going to recognize the folly of the path we're on. At some point we're gonna experience godly sorrow concerning our sins. A lot of our interaction with God is gonna be in prayer. But what Jesus is saying when he says, repent and believe in me, he's saying, just recognize the journey you are on is leading to selfishness, deception, breakdown in relationships, and ultimately death. So stop, stop that journey. Don't just feel bad and say a few little words. Stop that journey and follow me. Join my kingdom. See my kingship my authority, my power, and give up your agenda for my agenda. Give up your ways of thinking for my ways of thinking. Give up what you think looks good to your eyes for what I say is truly good, and you will discover the kingdom of life, and you will discover the kingdom of salvation is what Jesus is saying, right? Is that what it means? The evidence is not, wow, did I say the right words when I was 18? No, the evidence is, did I stop and turn and walk with him and follow him and trust him and his words, his life, his perspective, his reality, his agenda? Does that make sense? So saving faith is not about trusting whether or not you said or did the right things. Saving faith is trusting that. Is trusting that Jesus is Lord. Is trusting that He is sovereign. Is trusting that God is good. Is trusting that He sent His Son. Is trusting that He took on all the evil and the wickedness of this world. He took it upon Himself and He gave evidence of that defeat by dying on the cross and raising again. Is trusting that if I put my trust in Jesus, all that He did on my behalf will be given to me. All right, He is the one who rocked up. He is the one who passed the exam. He is the one who lived the life I couldn't live. He is the one who earned the reward and He gives it to me 
Not to earn, but for free. Trusting that. Trusting in is when I take my whole agenda and I lay it down and I adopt his agenda. And my whole life is transformed. And I start trusting his words over mine, his opinion over mine. So what I'm hoping to show you is that saving faith is not about somehow looking within you and seeing within you how much faith you had or have and whether that determines whether you're saved or not. Saving faith is looking at Jesus, seeing the reality of who he is and trusting him with everything. Again, I wanna use one more final example. I want you to imagine three people about to get on a plane. First person is like, oh man, I'm so pumped. I can't wait to get on the plane. Never flown before, I'm so excited. Person two is like, I'm a bit nervous. You know, sometimes planes fall out the sky, right? Person three is feeling the same way. Person one gets on the plane. Man, high five, ready to roll. Person two, after thinking and talking, okay, eventually gets on the plane. Person three evaluates everything and decides not to get on the plane. Let's say flying Jobic to Cape Town. Now, person one, high levels of confidence. Person two, uh, but got on the plane. Person three didn't get on the plane. Who got to Cape Town? Both person one and person two, right? And here's what I can tell you. Person two is probably more likely to get into a plane again and realize that, man, planes are reliable. Pilots can be reliable. And therefore, man, I can trust this process. And so their faith and confidence will grow. And so if you're trying to evaluate your salvation by how much faith you've got, man, maybe you're a person too, but you're on the plane and you see God as reliable and trustworthy. Faith is trusting that salvation is something God does and God gives. We access that by faith, by trusting that and by trusting in. Now, maybe some of you in this room are starting to ask some very uncomfortable questions. Maybe up to now, you've, you've maybe thought, oh, you know, I've been going to church, kind of doing the right thing. Isn't that what makes me a Christian? The answer is no. This is what makes someone a Christian, one who has received the gifts of life from Jesus and his life has been fused to him through faith. And so if you're feeling uncomfortable right now, I know it's uncomfortable, but I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing to reevaluate where we are at. The rest of the sermon series, by the way, we're gonna try and look at the kind of the middle parts of the faith journey just to make sure that we keep on track what it means to follow God in faith. So I wanna end off with where I started and that's by reading the text. And what you're gonna notice is as we read the text, there are things to trust that. And once we realize the things we can trust that are true about who God is, what He has done, I wanna invite you to put your faith in. And I'm gonna ask the band if we can come up. We're gonna respond as a church just now by singing the truth of this reality, giving you an opportunity to respond in faith by singing and vocalizing this. And so as the band just begins to play gently, I wanna read these verses and invite a response from you. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But because of His great love for us, this is where it starts, I have faith that God is initiating this entire work because He is a God of love. Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, something else to trust that. He made us alive 
with Christ, even I was, when I was dead in my transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And something else to trust. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I can trust that my life has been permanently fused to the life of Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. There's gonna be an unveiling. I can trust that. While not everyone in this world sees the truth of who God is and what it means to be permanently in Christ, a time will come when this is unveiled and revealed where all will see God is good. God is love. God is rich in mercy. He unveils His riches. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. I can trust that God has acted. Salvation is something God does and something that God gives. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. I move from believing that to believing in. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So maybe close your eyes. We don't want you to just hear these words and go home unchanged. I'm praying with everything that is in me that God has been doing some sort of diagnostic on you some point you're asking yourself the tough questions what does it mean to be a Christian is that objectively true of me maybe a better question is is that objectively true of God and can I say that with great levels of confidence and therefore can I transition from knowing things about God to knowing Him moving from head to heart. And so Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you are raising our confidence in who you are, this gift of life that you alone give. In a second, we're gonna stand. We're gonna sing a song, all for the one who saved us. Here is your opportunity not to sing a song. Here is your opportunity to respond to the God who gives with faith. Declaring these things are true with great passion, great heart, great conviction. And also placing yourself on the one who did these things. Invite every single one of you, regardless of where you are at, to believe in. Use this song. Go beyond singing songs. Let's, let's worship. Let's engage our full strength, our full heart, our full soul, our full mind. Let's put all of who we are, not our spare emotional change on Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we would experience your fullness and your confidence growing within us as we respond to the God who saved us. So church, let us stand. We're gonna sing this song and we'll wrap up after that. So one of the verses we looked at today is that when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, 
that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And I wanna ask you, if you wanna affirm that, whether this is the hundredth time or the first time, to raise a hand, maybe raise two hands, I wanna affirm in faith, by trusting that and by trusting in, that Jesus is Lord. He's not just Lord out there, He's Lord of my life. I trust in Him by submitting my life to His, giving up my agenda for His, my thoughts for His, my life purposes for His life purposes. What you're doing is not blind faith. It is the most logical next step in light of who God is, what He has done. Thank you, Lord, for faith being expressed in this room. All of this is your gift to us. And we are reaching out and laying hold of what is true by placing ourselves on you. I thank you, Lord, for those of us for whom this is just a a beautiful reaffirmation of our response to your free gift. A course correction just a celebration of a life we're living and enjoying. I thank You, Lord, for anyone in this room for whom this is the first time this has made sense. This is the first time for whom they are able to take their full selves and lay on You, trusting You. And therefore, God, as we respond in faith, I pray for the gifts of Your salvation, to be made manifest in our hearts and our lives and our church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The rest of the series is gonna help us continue on this journey. If any of you here, especially if you've done this for the very first time, we would love to pray for you. Please come to the front. We'd love to uh, just help you start this journey well. Um, Otherwise, God bless you guys and we will see you live groups next week, amen.